reminding us of God's ability. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. God is able to keep me, to keep you from falling, blowing it, blowing up your life, fragmenting it after you've surrendered to him. He is able to do it. Not to say that we don't have to call out to him, but it's real simple. Just say his name. Just say Jesus. I feel that when I say that because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which a person might be saved. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. It's been well said, the greatness of a man's or a woman's power is the measure of his or her surrender. So there is no such thing as a great man or woman of God, only men and women who have surrendered to God who's able to save them. Now maybe you think that you're beyond help or you know some tough cases. Well, the Lord is up for the challenge, and today on Grow in Grace, we'll head back to the book of Hebrews. In chapter 7, we'll not only be reminded of what's really important, but we'll also be encouraged by how able and how far God will go to save us. Pastor Ed gets us started by reading this very encouraging scripture. And again, we're in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests of Aaron because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners that has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for himself, for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we want to understand your word, so we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive from you. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This section of Scripture talks about the priorities of eternity, what's really important. I love the old story about the man who was a miser, hard worker, but really stingy, and he kept every penny he could and squeezed it for all it was worth. And, but finally, he came towards the end of his life, and he called his wife in, who was a Christian believer, and, and he said, sweetheart, I need for you to promise me something. She said, okay, if I can do it. And he said, yeah, I want you to promise 
that you put all my money in the casket with me when I die so I can have it in the hereafter. And she said, okay, if that's what you want. I said, I do. So sure enough, he died a couple days later. At the funeral, about a week later, she was sitting with her best friend. They're both in black, and the whole thing goes on, uh, the funeral. And at the end of it, she walks up, and she slips a little box inside the casket right before they closed it. And when she came back, her friend grabbed her arm. She said, you didn't give all that money to that old stingy man, did you? And she said, well, you know, I'm a believer, and I made a promise. She said, I can't believe it. You put all that money in there? She said, well, yes, I did. I wrote him a check and put it in there. <laughs> Just telling you ladies along in the future, <laughs> should it come up. So we are looking with privilege this morning at what some people have called the greatest scripture in the New Testament. Some see it as even stronger than the one most people think of, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would have eternal life. But this one is more sweeping because it talks about repentance and God's ability that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, that God is both able and willing to save anyone who would come completely, totally. Now, the word uttermost is an interesting one. There was an American evangelist who had been a pro baseball player. His name was Billy Sunday, great name for an evangelist. He played professional ball for a number of years. It was very good, very fast on the bases, and, but he also was drinking with his buddies often, and one day he fell, tripped over a curb, and fell in the gutter, and that became the moment that he remembers and started seeking God. So when he became a pastor and an evangelist, he began to preach on this verse quite often. Only he changed the, the one word, uttermost, he changed it to guttermost, that God would save to the guttermost those who come. He'll even chase you into a gutter. Now, I don't know what kind of gutter you might be in this morning, but if you're here because you're looking for God, you're in the right place because he's here. He's in our midst right now, and he's willing and able and desiring to save any who would come to him. So, this section of scripture we're looking at is one that has been taught by many, probably hundreds of thousands of, of sermons have been given on this particular verse and the verses around it. It's embedded in a, a letter written to Hebrew Christians, people who had been Jewish, had grown up as Jews, and then received Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their Mashiach. Jesus had died on a cross in 32, 33, and it's about 25 years later, and the Roman Empire is still intact, and so is the temple. Even though the temple veil was split in two when Jesus died on the cross and the ground was rent, the next day Judaism went on. And so even as they received this letter up in a suburb of Rome, uh, these Jews who were struggling, the temple was still doing all the things the temple normally does. And that's just the background for what's going on in this section, that there were priests, Jewish priests, still in the temple, nine o'clock in the morning they'd offer a sacrifice, three o'clock in the afternoon they'd offer a sacrifice, the morning and evening sacrifices, every feast day, every Sabbath, there was this constant organization that was continuing even though it had been 
abolished. Even though the old covenant was no longer in place. But something also is taking place at this time. Rome begins to persecute Christians. Nero had torched Rome. He wanted to rebuild a new city. And when the people weren't real excited about that, he blamed the Christians for it. And that started persecution of Christians. So these Jews who are living in a suburb of Rome who had received Jesus as their Messiah, all of a sudden they're stuck. And when the Jewish friends at the synagogue were doing fine, they were being kicked out of the synagogue. And that's where all the schools and the unions, the guilds took place. So it was putting an economic hardship on them, but there was also the possibility of martyrdom because Christians were being burned to death in Rome, in Nero's gardens. So they're starting to waver in their faith. And some of them are wanting to go back to the Old Covenant, to the Old Testament laws. Because if you were a Jew, you weren't being persecuted. If you were a Christian, you are. Well, it's the same thing, right? The temple's still going on, same God. No, it's not. God has a new covenant, and you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Jesus taught quite a bit about it. I hope you took communion. You remember that night when Jesus took the cup, he said, this is my blood of a new covenant, a new testament, a new agreement. That comes up in this section of Scripture too. So this particular section breaks up into three parts. God's oath to make Jesus a priest forever, 20 through 22. The permanence for us on our behalf that he remains a priest forever and then his perfect sacrifice of himself was so perfect, 26 through 28, that no longer would any sacrifice need to be done for our sins. Pretty sweeping area of Scripture, some important concepts, theological ideas here, and they continue down even to this day. That yes, there was a number of things that they didn't understand yet in Rome. In fact, if you were with us, you'll remember that the writers said, you're not growing, you're staying still. In fact, some of you are going backwards, and so you have to be given spiritual milk instead of solid food. You're like a baby. What's the solid food? The things that he's teaching now here in this section. That not only did Jesus die once and for all for our sins, but that he right now here is interceding for you and for me, that he's intervening with Father God. So there's some really big thoughts here. Let's jump in and see what God might say to all of us. Before we take that jump, we want to pause here and say that you're listening to Grow in Grace. And we're very glad you've joined us. Here now to take us deeper into this important scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, starting with verse 20. Pastor Ed Ray. And inasmuch as he, Jesus, was not made priest without a note. Something is unusual about this priest, besides him being God the Son, but that when God said he was going to be a priest forever, he swore on himself. Kind of strange thought. But if we're in a court of law and you're asked to go to the witness stand, you put your hand on the Bible, you said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But when God swears, 
He can't swear on anything higher than himself. By the act of putting your hand in the Bible, you're saying, this is truth, and I'm going to do the same. God says, I'll swear by myself. (laughs) Thank you. I'm greater than anything. And he swore by this verse, the next verse, verse 21, this oath. For they have become priests without an oath, they being the Levitical priests, the priests that are down in Jerusalem offering sacrifices every day as this letter was being read. They became priests without an oath, but he, capital H, with an oath by he, capital him, capital H, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God himself has sworn, taken an oath is the point. Now this verse appears numerous times in this letter. It actually is taken from Psalm 110 verse four. And that's important because he says a couple of things about it later that are unusual. But the point is God the Father is saying to God the Son, you are a certain kind of priest, different than the Levitical priests, like Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is this mysterious priest who was in Salem, where Jerusalem would go, when Abraham went through, which was 2000 B.C., Okay, and if you read the chapter before this, the first part of the chapter 7, there's a discussion about Melchizedek. If you weren't here, you need to go get the CD or go online and listen to it because uh, it's an astounding picture of Jesus, and it was said in 1000 B.C., so it was said 1,000 years before Jesus came and became that high priest. Okay, we won't go back there completely, but priest means bridge builder. Jesus is the bridge builder between us and Father God. He did it by the great exchange, by dying in your place, dying in my place, the wonder of it all. And when we draw near to him, as he said to, we looked at last time, he will draw near to us. He will draw us in. So he's the bridge. Verse 22, by which or by so much more, Jesus has become a surety, old English word, guarantee of a better covenant, of a better agreement between God and man. Jesus is the guarantee that God is keeping this new covenant onto eternity. Some translations say a bond, like you'd put up a bond, a bail bond maybe, something like that, or that you would co-sign on a loan, but really guarantee is the clearest picture. Now, we have something in America that I haven't found anywhere else in the world that uses the word money back guarantee. It's supposed to help us make a commitment to buy, and it normally does. I don't like to use it, but if I know that if the thing doesn't work for me or breaks or something, I can take it back and get my money back kind of a thing. But sometimes those guarantees don't work very good. Like, I don't know the last time you bought an airline ticket, but if you show up 15 minutes before the flight, you're probably not going to get on the airline because they overbook flights routinely now. And even though it's guaranteed, it's not guaranteed you'll fly that day. (laughs) It's guaranteed that someday they'll make a seat available to you. So guarantees uh, have a little bit of play in them, I guess you could say. So when we talk about a guarantee of heaven, this covenant that has to do with eternity, we're talking about something that's very critical. In fact, it could be argued the most critical guarantee in all of the universe, in all of time. In other words, you don't want to show up at heaven 
and say, hi, I'm Ed, I want to come in, and I'm looking through the books, and you notice they're taking a long time, and they're going through the books, and I said, you know, we can't seem to find your name here. Um, when did you book your reservation? <laughs> well, you need to know that you have booked your reservation. And it's simply us humbling ourselves before God and surrendering to him. We'll come back to that. But guarantees are very important. Of a better covenant. So guarantee is an important word. Covenant is an important word. Very important word. The New Testament in the Bible is the new covenant on the right-hand side. On the left-hand side is the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And it was an agreement made with Jews on Mount Sinai, and it has now become, we'll see next week, obsolete. That Jesus said there's a new covenant. And when he said, this is my blood of a new covenant, he meant in a matter of hours, the old one would be gone in this new relationship based upon God giving his life for my life and each one of us that, yeah, amen, that we would spend eternity with him. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning because this is the next chapter, really. But at least I want you to see that this concept is very important. It is a better covenant because it is unconditional and it is final and you could argue irreversible. The covenant of unconditional blessings, someone has called it. Jesus spoke about it in Mark 14, Matthew 26, and Luke 22, and here, and then in Jeremiah 31. It's also in Ezekiel 36, God predicting that it was coming hundreds of years before it came. Here's the way he said it in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart, sound familiar? And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will pour out my spirit, put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my ways, in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments, and you will do them. What God is saying is that he gives us his will, his desire, and that when we surrender to him, that becomes a part of us. And it starts a slow but predictable change in us, that he changes our desires, and we find ourselves actually desiring to do the things that he wants us to do. It's a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously, but it is a promise that we will want to do what he wants us to do. He will show us. It will happen. We'll look at that more closely next time. Verse 23. Also, there were many priests, still alive at that time, because they were prevented by death from continuing. All the high priests in the past all died, which was the good news and the bad news. If they were a good high priest, then everyone was sad, but there were plenty of bad high priests. You'll remember the two that were in place, which was unheard of during Jesus' day. Both of them corrupt. Even the Romans thought too crooked to keep in there. So high priests come and go out of the point, and death ends their lives. Verse 23 is saying another difference between the priesthood 
is that the old priesthood died off, but the new one does not. So he's building this case for Jesus being permanent, verse 24. And he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. You don't have to worry about Jesus being replaced, all right? He's got job security for you and for me. He ended the weaknesses of men's failures, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the guttermost, or uttermost, depending on your background, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through Jesus. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. That's the New Living Testament. Okay, he is able. This is one of those great little phrases in Scripture. It talks about God's capacity, his capability, actually his desire too. A statement of how great God's forgiveness really is towards you and towards me. This is the good news. NIV says he is able to save completely those who come to God. The idea is of absolute confidence in what God said that it will happen. I'm not sure that's happening in most of the church in America today. I'm not sure if you asked the majority of evangelical Christians if they believed that every word of the Bible was true, I think people, most people hedged their bets on that. But this is one you wanna be all in on. God is able. God is able, you're not, I'm not. But God is able. He's able to get us into eternity. I wrote down four here, there's a lot of them. Jude 124, God is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to prevent you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to keep me, to keep you from falling, blowing it, blowing up your life, fragmenting it after you've surrendered to him. He is able to do it. Not to say that we don't have to call out to him, but it's real simple. Just say his name. Just say Jesus. I feel that when I say that because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which a person might be saved. You don't have to yell it in the middle of your office at work. You don't have to scream it in the cafeteria school. You can say it quietly, God's not deaf. But calling on his name always brings help. God is able. He is able to keep you from stumbling. God is also able to strengthen us. Listen to Hebrews 2.18 again. We looked at it a while back. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. God is able to come alongside and make a way of escape. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He said that, no person is tempted above their ability to resist, but God is able to make a way of escape. He'll give you one. Might be a diversion. Might be a, just somebody that comes up and asks you a question to get your mind off it. But God is able to change your circumstances and strengthen us. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And we're going and growing through the book of Hebrews one verse at a time. You can listen to this program again on our website at thepackinghouse.org. We can also send you a CD copy. 
For this and other Christ-centered resources, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. That's toll-free, 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word from Genesis to Revelation so that nothing is left out. We're grateful to the Lord when we hear of men and women that are growing in grace as a result of listening. And if that's happening in your life, would you please let us know? As this study of Hebrews continues, we want to hear from you. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And we'd also very much appreciate your financial support. Lives are being impacted, people are growing in grace, and your gifts help to make this possible. When you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made the headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark a passion in your life to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. Remember, you can access these daily studies when you visit our website at thepackinghouse.org. We'll pick up where we left off in Hebrews next time. So join us as we grow in grace with Pastor Ed. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. 